If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 55. Isaiah chapter 55. As you turn there, uh, I just want to say a word of thanks uh, to Jeremy Terry, uh, to Will Stanfield, to Lee Taylor. Guys, if nobody watches this live stream, I want you to know that you have ministered to me today, and I am eternally grateful for that. But Redeemer Church, I do have faith that you are there and that you are worshiping with us today. And as I said on the video when I addressed you earlier this week, these are unusual times. Everybody I talk to says that these times are unprecedented, that they've never seen anything like this. In fact, as I recall, there was no class in seminary that tells you how to do church when there's a global pandemic underway. But I want you to know that even though we may be surprised, even though we may wonder if we were prepared, even though we are shaken, God is not surprised. Our God is not unprepared, and our God is not shaken. And I want to spend a few minutes with you today just looking at his word together. If that's who our God is, then let's look and see what he has to say about this. Let's let him influence our thinking about how we view the world, how we would lean into the world at this time. So let's do that together. I initially want to invite you to see three things, invite you to see just these three preliminary things and then I want to talk a little bit secondly about why God allows suffering and bad things to happen. And then finally, just ask the question, so what? What do we do with that? What do we do with the information? So let's look at those three things together. First, I want to invite you to see the incredible relevance of the Bible. The incredible relevance of the Bible. Did you know... The most often asked question in the Bible is this, how long, O oh Lord? How long are you going to allow suffering to occur? How long are you going to wait to come back, Lord Jesus, until you come and make all things right? You heard Jeremy read that question in Habakkuk chapter 1 before the offertory prayer this morning. And it is the longing of our hearts. Maybe you are asking that question this morning. How long, oh Lord, are you going to let this go on? I want you to know, God is familiar with that question. The people of God have asked it for millennia. And did you know that the most repeated response in the Bible, the thing God says more than anything else, is do not fear. Do not be afraid. People from millennia have cried out to God asking the same questions we are asking and the Lord repeatedly calls us to trust in him. Maybe you have some extra time on your hands right now. I think we all do. Perhaps because the Bible is so relevant, because it can also be so incredibly comforting, I would invite you to spend some time in the Word during this time, allowing the questions that, that we are asking to be asked of God and to listen to the answers and the comfort that He gives. I'm going to give you some places to look as we go forward today. 
But there's a second thing I want to invite you to see, just as a preliminary matter. And that's what we see here in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. I want to invite you to see things from a different perspective. I want to invite you to see things from a different perspective. You see, we sort of look at the world and we say, man, that ain't right. That's messed up right? That's jacked up. That's not the way things should be. We have that in our heart. We don't understand why God wouldn't just come and just fix it right now. If I were good and I were in control of all things, I would handle things differently. Well, I want to invite you to see things from a different perspective. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. Hear what God says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There are some things God reveals to us and makes clear to us in his word. In fact, there are a lot of things. But God specifically says in Deuteronomy, there are some things that are, that are hidden things. There are some things that are above us that we just don't understand. There are some things that are just beyond our intellectual horsepower to grasp. For instance, if I gave you uh, uh, some construction paper and a box of the you know, eight fat Crayola crayons and said, here, I would like for you to reproduce the Mona Lisa, no matter how good you are with construction paper and Crayolas, we just don't have the means to recreate the Mona Lisa. And it's that way with God. God is creating a masterpiece. God is doing something, as Jeremy read this morning, that, that we would just be shocked that we can't even imagine what he is doing. And, and when we try to see things just from our own perspective... We don't have the, the intellectual horsepower to understand what he's at work doing. I think a more poignant illustration is this. Maybe some of you parents have been through this before. I remember when our girls were babies, and we took them to the pediatrician, and they had to get their shots. And I, and I remember the nurse would come in and say, okay, it's time for her shots. If you could just hold her still while I give her this injection. And I remember just being horrified as I hold my baby still so that they can poke her with a needle. And I just imagine my girls thinking, what in the world are you doing to me? Why, why would you hold me in this place while I'm being hurt in this manner? It really tugged at my heart. It really bothered me a lot. Because I couldn't convey this. They didn't have the capacity as babies to understand that what we were doing was for their good. To protect them. To keep them healthy. Well, if our Father God is so much bigger than what we are, if he is so beyond what we are, then of course we wouldn't be able to understand everything that he did. And I would imagine just as my girls as babies could not in the slightest understand why we would hold them while they're being hurt with a needle. And they couldn't understand that's what they're good. We can't understand how God is doing things that hurt us and how they're ultimately for our good or to protect us. 
There's a third thing I want to invite you to see, just as a preliminary matter. I want you to invite you to see the context we live in. Sometimes we can get real focused on the, on the here and now. And I just want to invite you to see the, the big picture. I want to put this in its proper context as we face this crisis. We've learned here at Redeemer Church to look at all of biblical history, in fact, all of human history in four phases. We've learned that there's creation, that God created all things out of nothing by the power of his word in the space of six days, and that he created all things good. You see, God created a perfect world. He did not create a world where there were viruses or illnesses or death or suffering or pain. Those things entered the world in that second part when the fall takes place. You see, we didn't live life the way God designed it to be lived. And as a result, we see very clearly that uh, pain, hatred, blame, fear hiding, decay, and death all come into the world as a result of our not living life the way God designed it to be lived. In fact, when you look at things and you say, wow, things are horribly messed up, do you know why you have that reaction, why I have that reaction? It's because we were made to live in the perfection of Eden. And so when we think, see things in the world going like they are, we have this sense of that's not right. You have a sense of that's not the way things were designed to be. You see, things are not as bad as they could be because of God's grace, but things are not as good as they could be because of our sin and because of our rebellion against God, because of our turning away from Him and not living life the way He designed life to be lived. But that's not where we live right now. The next part of the story is redemption. That God has remained committed to his creation. He has not given up on things, even though they're broken and messed up. And God, through the person and work of his son, Jesus, has accomplished a redemption for not just his people, but for his entire creation, for all the world. He has accomplished a redemption. We've learned to say it like this at Redeemer Church. We started saying it like this. We started saying that the kingdom of God is now breaking into the kingdom of this world. And that we as the church, the people of God, we are the vehicle that God uses for his kingdom to break into this world. We're the little hands and feet of Jesus at this point in time. And this is not the end of the story. If you read the last two chapters of the Bible, we know that there's a new creation. There's a day coming when God will make all things new. There's a day coming where God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more mourning or crying or death or pain. And that is the hope that we have at this time. Oh, friends, our hope is not in our money. Have you seen what the stock market is doing? Our hope is not in our health. It is threatened at this time. Our hope is not in our intellect. It's not in our government. Our hope is not in social distancing or in hand sanitizer. Our hope is that a day is coming when God is going to make all things right. And because that is true, because that day is coming, that means we can face 
this day together with all the brokenness, with all the uncertainty, because we are certain that a day is coming when God will make all things right. So we can enter into the brokenness that we face today. So I want you to keep those three preliminary things in mind. I want to take just a moment now to talk about why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does God allow suffering in the world? Well, we've already begun an answer to that question, right? We all suffer because of the consequences of sin. God created all things good. Brokenness came into the world as a result of our poor choices. And and you may be thinking to yourself, well, okay, so if I have something bad happen to me, is that a result of my own sin? Not necessarily. Sometimes we just live in a broken world. And the air that we breathe has a virus in it. Sometimes, through no fault of our own, not because of our own sin, we encounter the brokenness of this world. I would point to Romans chapter 8, where God talks about the whole creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth because it's been subjected to futility, not because of its own choice, but because of the sin and rebellion, because things have become broken. And they're not working the way that they should. So sometimes we suffer just because of the consequences of sin, just because we live in a broken world. But there are times that we do suffer the consequences of our own sin. I think of Romans chapter 1 where God gives people over to their sin and they experience horrendous things because of what their sin leads them to do. I think of Acts chapter 12 where Herod does not give God credit. He is prideful. He doesn't give glory to God and he's immediately struck down because of his sin. Even Christians can suffer this fate. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're told not to take communion in an unworthy manner. And if so, God could make us sick or ill or some people even taste death. And it says that God does that. So that these people who are filled with the Spirit will not be condemned with the world. Sometimes even believers face the consequences of their own sin. Now it's not always because of our own sins. Sometimes people suffer for some greater good. What about Jesus? He never sinned at all. He was sinless. Yet he faced a lot of brokenness. He suffered a lot. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 3 that say, says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, so that Jesus underwent suffering for this greater good that came to us. Or I think of Joseph in the Old Testament, sold into slavery by his brothers. And in Genesis 50 and verse 20, where we read where Joseph says, Look, Um, It was, I know what you intended for evil, God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Romans 8, 28 and 29, we've quoted a lot during these times, that God is using all things, even bad things, even, even things that people meant for evil, God is using them for our good so that we would look more like Jesus. So some suffer for some kind of greater good. Sometimes God sends suffering to bring us back to himself. It's pretty much the story of the entire Old Testament if you think about it. God will raise up a foreign army. There are times that God has sent famine for, so his people would turn back to him. There are times God has even sent pestilence. Do you know what that word is in the Old Testament? I always thought it meant like pests, like locusts or like fleas or frogs or something. No, 
pestilence in the Old Testament. It says that God would send pestilence. Those are global epidemics that cause illness and death. And that God uses that sometimes to, to, he allows it to happen so that people would turn back to him, so that they would look to him, so that they would cry out to him. Sometimes God allows suffering to discipline his children. Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to hear what God says in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. He says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear that. Maybe you didn't have a good relationship with your father. Maybe you didn't have a father at all. Maybe you had a father who disciplined you not for your good, but just for his anger or to satisfy his wrath. I want you to know that our Heavenly Father, it says here, he disciplines us for our good. That he disciplines us out of his great love. That he doesn't want us to run to things and trust in things that will ultimately let us down. And so he disciplines us to turn our affections from those things. Sometimes God uses suffering to develop character in his people. I think of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, where we read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if we're honest, Sometimes we just don't know why we suffer. I think of the entire book of Job. Job asked that question over and over again, God, what are you doing? And God doesn't answer the question, but he does answer Job. And he says to Job, hey, look, there are a lot of things you don't know. Where were you when I formed the foundations of the earth? Are you there when I caused the sun to rise? Are you there when I have animals birth their young? Do you teach the birds to fly? Does the ang does the, do the eagles take off at your command? And in Job 38 and following, there is what I call the greatest cross-examination ever. God just has question after question that Job can't answer. To make the point, Job, there's a lot that you don't know. And at the end of that time, you can read in Job 42, Job says, Lord, you are sovereign. You can do whatever you please, and you are good, and I trust in you. Sometimes we don't know why we suffer. You know, maybe I don't know what's going on at this point in time. Maybe God will reveal things to us. Maybe we'll see good things come out of it. But God could be setting up something he's going to do two or three generations from now that we can't even imagine, that we never even live to see. But we can trust that God is in control and he's good. Well, what about that third thing? Let's ask the question, so what? What do we do with this? What do we do with this information? I told you at the beginning 
that I've never seen anything like this before, and I haven't really talked to anyone who has. But I want you to know that as a minister of the gospel, as a shepherd of God's people, I have walked with people as they face death. I have walked with people through really bad illnesses. I've walked with people as they've lost loved ones. I've walked with people through divorces, through financial challenges, through job losses, through addiction, through betrayal, through all kinds of brokenness. And as I walk with people through times like these, they often ask this question. And maybe you're asking this question. People often ask this question. Will I ever get through this? Am I ever going to get to this? Is this ever going to be over? Am I ever going to get to the other side? And I want you to know that I've learned walking through hard things that that's not exactly the right question to ask. It's okay to ask, will this ever be over? And I think this will be. I think God is going to work. He is going to bring an end to this suffering. But I think there's a better question we can ask. And the better question I've learned to ask as I've walked with people through difficult times is this. Let's ask this question. What kind of person will I be when I get through this difficulty? You see, I often hear people say that, that, that hard times make people better. And hard times can make people better. But I've seen some folks who go through hard times and they're just meaner people on the other side. They're smaller people. They're more bitter, more exacting people. I've also seen people go through really hard times that have a, a stronger character, a deeper faith a stronger hope, a more gracious demeanor, a more optimistic attitude about life and a closer walk with the Savior. What makes us one kind of person or the other? What kind of person will we be on the other side of this? How can I be that kind that has a stronger character and more hope and a closer walk? Well, I would suggest the things that we've already talked about. Go to God in his word. It is surprisingly relevant and comforting. Realize that our understanding is limited, like we're trying to create the Mona Lisa with Crayolas, or like that infant receiving a shot or an injection. We don't understand how this could possibly be for our good. Remember the context of where we live. We should expect suffering. We live in a broken world. Of course we're going to face brokenness. This should not be surprising to us. But also remember that we are living on this side of redemption. That Jesus has accomplished a salvation for us. That as his people we are safe. If you don't have that hope, I invite you to trust in him today. If you would respond to our uh, visitor's card there online, we would love to talk with you more about how you can have a relationship with him. I would also encourage you to ask during this time, Lord, what do you have for me to learn during this time? Why is this suffering occurring? Is there some sin that I need to turn from? Is there some bad habit that I can develop a better one? Is there some person that I can help? Lord, what do you have for me during this time? And regardless of the reason for our suffering, our hope 
is that a day is coming when God is going to make all things right. And because that day is a certainty, we can face this day. And we can enter into brokenness together. And we can be a part of pushing back the effects of all the brokenness and the sin in this world. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do that as a church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just pray for Redeemer Church and those who are hearing this. I pray for those who are not, Father, that you would be at work in our hearts, that you would help us to be your people at this point in time. This is our moment. This is the context in which we find ourselves. Father, help us to always be ready to give a hope for the certainty that we have. And during this time, I pray that you would help us to move into this world with confidence, not that we will never be harmed, but confidence that you will make all things right, that a day is coming when we will prevail. And because that day is for sure, then we can be confident in this day. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.